Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we're live. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. End of here. James is with me as well as is Alan. We're only three minutes late for the YouTube live stream. So we're getting closer to that ever, you know, that we can't just quite reach that final hurdle of getting here right on time. But we're here nonetheless. James, Alan, how are we doing? Hanging in there. Nice to see you guys. Yeah. Hi, everyone. So the good news is that football is returning the way it should be with fans in the stadiums next week. Celtic taking on Hibs on Monday night. So Monday night football will be a Celtic special. But today we don't have any football to talk about. So what we said we were going to do last week on the show was we were going to look in more depth at the Celtic defence this season. So on broadly speaking, Celtic's defence has actually been quite solid this year. They're the best defence in the Scottish League. So far in the season, you wouldn't know that with some of the media coverage that Celtic get in terms of their defending, <laughs> but they are the best defense in the league so far. So I guess we'll we'll do an overall um, squad look uh, at. Geez, that was a terrible way to say. It. We'll do an overall squad summary of the different players: Carl Starfelt, Cameron Carter-Vickers, uh, Stephen Welsh, who is in the papers for transfer rumors this week as well, and then we'll make a decision on whether or not uh, Celtic have had a good defence or not this year. Alan, do you want to kick us off with some stats on the individual players or where do you want to take us on this one? Yeah, so when I look at centre-backs, and centre-backs are are the players that tend to have their, their... their actions on the field tend to be dominated more so than by defensive actions than, than any other player, uh, perhaps defensive midfielders who, who are very sort of, you know, limited in that role, you might argue as well. But generally speaking, whereas fullbacks for Celtic, there's a lot of noise in the data because when you look at, start looking at things like challenges and duels, there's as many challenges and duels uh, almost in the... Uh, in the, in the in the offensive third is 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 in the defensive third, but for for centre backs, if you look at defensive actions, it's actually I, f- I find it quite useful. I know the general feeling is in, in within uh, people that do analytics and, and certainly people who are far more skilled than I uh, is that you know defending is quite difficult to measure because it is a collective activity. Uh, but nevertheless, we we can capture individual actions, and and what I found through a couple of aggregated metrics is that by using those, um, they do tend to uh, actually match, you know, the the, old, the good old eye test of if, if you do, if you had to plot plot your players or rank them without any data, and then you actually had some data, the two lists would actually be be, be pretty close in that sense. Um, now that might just be luck, of course. <laughs> it, may, it may not be uh, may not be very scientifically sound, but obviously the, the longer you do this, the more years of data, and I've. I've got these sort of defensive action um, metrics going back now for to the to the fourteen fifteen season. So it's, it's quite a lot of data, really, and quite a lot of different defenders in there to compare. And and there's a couple which are I've, I've talked about in the past, but you know, again, for people that are newer or haven't 
but I don't remember, what have you. Bit of a mouthful, but I'll try and break it down. Um, defensive action success rate is, is a quite a mouthful to start with, but it is really what it says. It's a percentage of, def of, of uh, defensive actions only that result in uh, you know the, the player actually you know winning winning the ball in the sense that they, they, they won the duel. Uh, the winning the ball piece is about maintaining possession. I'll come to that in a minute. But the defensive action pieces, if, 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 if to bring it to life a little bit, if you think of it in terms of duels, so duels really split two ways. One aerially, so headed headed duels where you're jumping for the ball and challenging for the ball in the air, and second would be ground duels, you know, tackles, challenges on the ground. But then you also add in things like interceptions, um, blocking crosses, blocking shots, um, shielding the ball out. Um, you know, so lots of things like that. So it really covers those types of actions, it, 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 and it excludes things like passing and all the other offensive actions that players get involved in. So it's very specific. The other pieces around um, when you actually go into a challenge or any sort of defensive action, do you actually win the ball <laughs> in terms of does possession end up being for Celtic, which is a really key thing for defenders. So these two things are related, but they're slightly different. One is just about I could win 10 headers, but each time I win the header, it could go out for a throw in to the other team. Right. Whereas possessions, one would be I've won 10 tackles and every time I've actually not only have I won the tackle, I've actually got the ball at the end of it or the ball's gone to a Celtic player. So slightly different things, but, but, but related. Anyway, so if you plot those two things, I found that if you look at the sort of top right hand of that, of that, of those results, you, you the players that are in there are the likes of Van Dyke, Ayer, Chris Julien would be in there. Um, you know, Benkovic, who's been quite topical this week. And then if you look at the bottom left, would be players that are scoring lower percentages. You're looking at your Effie Ambrose, your, your, your Jack Hendrys, right? So, so as I say, and, and in the middle would be, you know, your sort of middle class, if you like, of defenders would be your Simunovic's and your Boyatas and, and your, uh, your, you know, your Sviachenkos and people like that. So it works out pretty well so long preamble in terms of the current uh, group of uh, def central defenders where do they fit well with the, the the good news let's start with the good news is that carter vickers is firmly in the top right hand corner you know a very dominant uh, defensive player uh, he, in fact he scores highest of all central defenders in his ability to win possession back through through defensive actions as, as you can see on the on the chart um, and, and he's up there with Julian and Benkovic in terms of his defensive action success in that sort of Van Dyke kind of territory. And this was a young Van Dyke, remember, as well. Ayer would have been a little bit higher in normal times. He suffered from his last season being last being that last season, which was, was poor for a lot of players. But anyway, Carter Vickers, the good news story there is firmly in that top right-hand corner. Then we come to Stephen Welsh, who who um, is kind of hovering just below the middle classes, let's call it. But I, I would suggest that he's twenty one. Just I think his birthday's next week. Happy birthday, Stephen! Um, he he's looked like he's he's already as a young player establishing himself as a as a pretty solid uh, defender, and and in that basis, I think is somebody that's probably worth having in the squad. And then the the sort of best good news is in the bottom right hand corner. Is, is Starfelt, who is really actually um, the least successful defender in in in, in defence actions of, of all the central defenders that have racked up sufficient minutes to be included in this chart, and is only better than Hendry in terms of winning the ball back from his defensive actions. So this is a pretty a pretty sorry tale, as as I outlined last week with some examples from the the League Cup final. So that, that I found this chart, and I know it's it's boiled down. It's only defensive actions. It's quite simple in that sense, but it's but it, uh, it's, it's a bit reductive, a little bit. But I do feel uh, confident that it tells quite an accurate story uh, when you see the, the the plotting of the players that we're all quite familiar with. So I think the first question that I would ask about this is. The likes of Cameron Carter-Vickers, who's right up at the top, he's playing in a Celtic side that have been dominating possession quite a bit this year and playing on the front foot, whereas last year Celtic were a complete mess. And we talked about it until the cows went home about Scott Brown and the lack of control in midfield and the lack of legs. 
if you were to take Cameron Carter-Vickers from what you're seeing with him now and stuck him into a Celtic team of last year where you don't have that control, how would that translate, do you think? So, 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 so listen, this, this, isn't, this is not an easy question to answer. So it's a good question. But what I would say is, and I know where you're kind of going to, I think I know where you're going with this, but what I would say is if you look at Carter-Vickers and Starfelt, if you imagine that Starfelt has performed that poorly with such a good centre-back beside him, that is absolutely damning. And similarly, mm. for Carter Vickers to perform so well with such a poor player beside mm. him is incredible, actually. Because okay. if you look at these, if you look at if you look at these charts, uh, and what I found is, because I, I, I always build this, I, I take a view of this at least twice a season, is that Ayer and Julian are together, Van Dyke and Denier mm. were together. And it tend, and that made sense, right? Because it's it's it's, it's just, you know it's a defense is a system. It has to have all the component parts working for the full defense to be working. So so what I'd say is for Celtic to be performing as well as they have been relatively in terms of lowest expected goals against in the league, lowest actual goals against in the league, and for Carter Vickers to be clearly the best central defender in the league by a mile, um, that that is simultaneously of massive credit to him. But incredibly mm-hmm. damning of of Starfelt, I would suggest. James, do you want to get in on this? Yeah, I'll try to add a little bit of context uh, from a uh, thirty thousand feet. So, um, Statsbomb tracks their XG metric through various phases of play. One of which is just open play. You know, set pieces, open play. You can do it by, you know, direct free kicks and direct free kicks. You, you can slice and dice corners. You know, you can slice and dice a lot of different ways. So if you just look at from open play, um, Celtic are basically in line with the 1920 season. Uh, I think it's 0.31 versus 0.32. Uh, the former being 1920. So again, we're talking about uh, Celtic domestically concede very little from open play. Uh, last season in the debacle that we all kind of lived through, um, that went all the way up to 0.52. Uh, so again, relative to the rest of the league, uh, still microscopic, very little. Um, and but I mean that's a huge percentage difference. On and and when you think about this, as we talk about it from a probability perspective, uh, the, that's effectively two decent chances more a game that you're conceding. At, you know, if you think about it, it's like 0.10 uh, twice was the difference. And um, so that that's, you know, that was the fine margin between calamity last season and being a, effectively a lockdown defending team uh, in 1920 and in this season. And to what you guys are, were just discussing, I think, you know, the idea, I, I think I dealt on that in, in the relative organization, let's call it, you know, as I say, the Jenga tower, so to speak, of Ange Ball versus kind of the chaos that we had with with uh, the, the team last season, and particularly in midfield. Imagine taking Starfelt out of this structured kind of controlled environment and plopping him down in a Shane Duffy role last season and think about what the delta would be on his error rate, potentially. Uh, you know, having a, a midfield and not having inverted fullbacks to shield defensive transitions with Scott Brown in the final third trying to press and chase the ball. I mean, that would be just intuitively um, potential calamity. Uh, so I, I think uh, on a relative basis, Carter Vickers probably looks better because, as any defender would in a system that's shielding them more uh, structurally. And whereas you put any defender in that mess last season and, and they're going to end up having a more difficult time just because anyone who's, you know, by definition forwards tend to be a little bit pacier than center backs. And if you end up with more transitions, one-on-one type of situations uh, you're, you're going to have center backs make mistakes or get beat one-on-one, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I think it's a very insightful question, Enda, because it is, I think, that structural um, system that context as far as what they're playing in is is very important. As we, we've talked about endlessly with Duffy and, you know, the role that he was asked to play and the lack of protection that he uh, was kind of victimized with uh, from, from midfield last season. Mm. 
there's a podcast on the Ringer, Ringer network that people might be familiar with, the rewatchables, and there's a, a category on it where they do unanswerable questions. And I feel like I should probably add that into this podcast because I generally ask unanswerable questions of you. But I'm, I'm going to ask one now, and um, it it's regarding the, the actual system of the back four that Celtic play. It, does Starfelt look worse because there hasn't been a proper left back be- beside him? Or are we thinking that this is down to Starfelt being fundamentally flawed as a player? Well, I, again, there always has to be most if you if you deconstruct virtually any goal that <laughs> that Celtic or any team can see, there's there's usually a number of small things that have gone wrong. Um, but but what I do track is individual errors. Uh, it's, it's it would be you need video analysis and a lot of time to do proper systemic defensive structure analysis and say, well, you should have been two yards further to the left and you should have been tucked in a bit here and you should have been, your body shape should have been this shape, not that shape relative to the strike. Or you, 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 that's the level of detail you'd want to get into if you were doing a proper job on this. And I don't have the time to do that much as I'd love to. Um, but I do track individual errors. Um, and Starfelt, again, by 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 those uh, metrics is is up in, well, he's in he's in sort of Ambrose, Yaya Toure, more more error prone than than Bitton, which is not good. Uh, whereas again, Carter Vickers is the least number of defensive errors um, of any of the central defenders that I've I've measured. So there's there's a there's a that, what does that tell you? Um, it tells you probably it speaks to things like concentration. It, it speaks to things like um, positional play. So. Just instinctively, or 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 just being in the inherently, generally being in the right place more often than not. Um, as I've mentioned before with Starfell, I think he's got some inherent physical um, limitations. Um, not only is he not very tall, and therefore aerially, uh, he, you know, he loses a lot of headers. His his positioning is not good. He's usually too far forward, and he's usually too aggressive relative to. Um, trying to win the ball, he's trying to win balls he shouldn't. I mean, Duffy Duffy was 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 terrible for that as well, trying to win headers that he had, he had no chance. You just sometimes have to have to make contact with the striker, make it difficult for the striker to get clean connection, and then and then everyone else kind of feed off the second ball, or at least be in good body shape to then react to the next action. Just accept you're not going to win the ball. Just think basic mm-hmm. basic. You know, really basic stuff like that. Um, and as I've said to you before, the the, the you know the I felt sorry for him in the in the first game of the season when he he stumbled and fell against Hearts. But actually, what I've seen so far is that he's just his coordination. I think is lacking his his, his actual neural neural <laughs> network. I don't think works as effectively. And I've said this before. He just if you just watch him play, if you watch him in a scenario where he receives the ball and then he has to turn back and then pass it back to the goalkeeper, he nearly falls over mm. when he's doing that. Is 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 his body movement just isn't right. It's just something wrong about it. And it's over-exaggerated and it's uneconomical and it's not efficient. And when you're in a split-second um, situation like, you know, chasing Nesbitt back in the cup final and your body um, coordination is all over the place, even someone like Kevin Nesbitt can can beat you, <laughs> uh, you know, in a, gra- in a, in a ground race. Um, so I just, I just think he's got some fundamental... Things which I just don't. Whether you had Greg Taylor beside him, or whether you had Bowling Goling beside him, or whether you had Roberto Carlos beside him, you know, you you would you would still get those issues. Would be would be my would be my view. I haven't and I haven't done any analysis that says mm. Starfelt Starfelt with so and so beside him. Well, he was pretty solid in that game. But when you put him beside him, and he wasn't because I think the more important relationship is Starfelt and Carter Vickers. Yeah, and and Carter Vickers, you couldn't you know you couldn't query. Is, is a very solid defender. Yeah. The first couple of weeks, I remember with Sarfelt, we were sort of cutting him a little bit of slack with the, the misplaced passes and the awkwardness of it. And we put it basically put it down to lack of football, but it, it turns out that that actually just seems to be um, Starfeld as a player. One of the key things that you're looking for a Celtic defender is somebody who can actually play the ball out from the back and be comfortable with it and be able to do that. We might touch on the actual ball progression in just a sec, but before we move off the actual defending aspect of it, you might run us through the um, the defensive errors because Duffy was a key target of um, people online giving him abuse for the errors and the obvious errors that he made last year as a defender. But 
in terms of Starfelt and Carter Vickers in this year's defence, what is the error rate like? Yep. So, um, I mean, Duffy was around over over one one point two sort of individual defence errors per ninety minutes, which is the highest I've ever recorded. I think Duffy's. Duffy, Duffy and Ambrose were similar in the sense that I think their errors, a lot of them came from came from a good place, if I can put it that way. It came from trying to trying to do a good thing, if not the right thing, um, trying to be uh, a helpful citizen and teammate, but actually usually overreaching. Uh, and ultimately, it's a bad decision, right? So whether it's coming from a good intentions, and I'm sure most actions on the football pitch are recently are, are good intentions from a player. Um, they were just ill ill thought out and ill ill executed. Um, and I think with 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 Ambrose, there was obviously con, you know issues of, of concentration and positioning. Um, with with Yaya Turi's up there, it was, it was just age regression. It was as simple as that. This guy had been a top top player, and, and he just had reached thirty five and and uh, age regressed. And, and it happens to happens to everybody, sadly. Um, with Bitton, it's 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 reaction time. It, it's number. He doesn't react quick enough to danger. To see um, when he doesn't see it quick enough, and therefore, and therefore move, and, and his body respond quick enough, and 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 to, to to actually prevent things from happening, and things tend to happen on his watch. And with Starfell, I think it's it's more a mixture of, as I say, this physical awkwardness, a lack of physique and physicality as a defender in the Scottish league specifically. And now Carter Vickers isn't much taller than him, but he compensates by. Being a much more kind of robust player, but also just by making better decisions about how to position himself physically, uh, that sort of physical intelligence, I would call it. Um, and I think with Starfelt, the other piece that I touched on in terms of what what drives that error rate is that I think he, you know, aware that he's not the most physical or tallest defender, I think he overcompensates by trying to win balls that he, he simply can, and therefore positionally, he's, he's sometimes uh, suspect. So that that would be my take on it. James, your thoughts on the error rate and whether or not that's something that we can work on to improve? Yeah, I, I'm. Um, you know, this, if if I was going to be charitable and positive, I'd say the sample size still isn't huge. Um, so there could be some just sequencing issues there uh, from a pure stats dork perspective. Um, I'm not terribly optimistic that that's the reality of the situation. Um, so. I mean, I'd throw out that caveat, but again, I, I think um, the, you know, as Al, Alan offers all of these great insights relative to uh, qualitative observation and experience and, and uh, knowledge that, that I don't have, um, you know, what I can do is analyze the data and offer my inferior views in, in the same regard. So I'm going to refrain from the latter because it's, you know, uh, not worth anything. So statistically and the more advanced metrics, I mean, he, it's just, um, it's evident across uh, the ensemble of the things that I look at that he's a fish out of water. He's not, he's not suited for this role. Um, At least that's my analytical conclusion. Uh, That might be biased to a degree because I didn't think he was to begin with when I evaluated his track record in Russia and even preceding that. Um, So I just I don't think he's ever going to fit with the way that we're playing. Uh, Alan's talked about in the past where Ange has made some tweaks to try and maybe help with that uh, to dilute the impact of some of his. you know, poor fit with some some of the the, the aspects of what, what we're playing. But as I, I talked about last week, I don't see us regressing away from the issues that are going to amplify his issues. I see us getting more advanced in implementing Ange's style of play. And if you have more transitions, you have more, um, you know, uh, advancement as far as the defensive line to try and squeeze the game forward and to keep that pressure going with the counter pressing. And, you know, the more you move up, the more space, and we've talked about this before relative to heart, not being as advanced in that sweeper keeper role, you know, you're going to have um, more opportunities potentially for, for the issues that Starfelt has. I, I would actually be concerned that you could get a higher degree of, of, um, error rates, particularly as we start to play teams that have a little bit more pace. Um, 
to, to confront him, you know, when we go back to, to against hearts again, here coming up, or we play Rangers several times more um, this season. Um, you know, th- those are the kind of matchups that I really get concerned about. Um, so that that's, I, I, I actually worry that it's going to get worse rather than better. Okay. He does make the team a lot better looking though. I think we can all agree on that. He's <laughs> a very, a hand- very handsome man. He's a handsome man, but I—I I mean, I think Welsh is a handsome guy too. So I, how dare you? That's... Yeah. Welsh has a, got a big Scottish head on him, though. Apart uh, compared to <laughs> Carl Starfelt, doesn't have the we don't the, us us Ulster Scots don't have the the same bone structure as they do in in Scandinavia, so we can't compete. Let's uh, let's talk about actual football instead of digressing onto that. One of the key players at Celtic lost this year, Christopher Iyer. I think if you look at him as a player, the, if you ask me to recall one thing that he did very well, that was bringing the ball out of the defence. He was, you know, that was his move. He was able to run even uh, often as times up as far as the opposition box without getting tackled. He was able to retain possession and move the move the team forward. So in terms of the defence this year, Alan, who are you looking at in terms of uh, ball progression? What, what are they ranking up in that sense? Yep. So again, uh, Carter Vickers here seems to uh, actually excel. Now, when you're talking about ball progression, uh, especially around breaking lines, the pack passing that I talk about, um, we are as much talking about style of play as we are an individual. So you've got to put, the, got to think about the two things together. How are the players being asked to play, and then are, how are they implementing that that style? So for, if you think about, for example. Um, a good example to back this up would be uh, Boyata, right? So when Boyata uh, broke into the team under Rodgers, um, I think it was something like five or six matches he went through and he didn't actually give away a single pass. Like it was zero passes given away. And it was something like five, it was something like five or six. Or it might, I might be exaggerating, but it was something like that. It was, and, 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 you know, um, if, 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 if you didn't know football and just looked at stats, you'd think, oh, he's the best passer in the world because he never gives the ball away, right? But of course, we all knew that Dedrick Dedrick Brody was possibly the worst passer in the whole team. But Rodgers had said to him, you know, your, your job is to get the ball and pass it no more than 10 yards to the nearest hoop shirt. And that, that's all I want you to do. I don't want you to be looking forward. I don't want you to be pinging balls into the corners. Just give it to someone else, right, as quickly as you can. And if you're going to play like that, yeah, you're, you're going to get you rack up a lot, of, uh, a lot of good passing stats in terms of you know, um, passes complete. You're not going to you're not going to bother the scorers as far as pack passing and uh, secondary assists and you know chance creation and all that sort of stuff. So you've got to think about it in terms of what are you being asked to do? What's the role, your role in the team? What what is the team's style of play? And then what is what is your ability to execute that? So we know that generally packing under under um, Bostokoglu is up, right? So it could, because he's wanting to get the ball forward quickly, but he wants to also keep possession. So Lennon last season went more towards getting the ball quick forward quicker, and he wasn't so bothered about keeping possession. So, th- so it was that, and that all added to the lack of control that we saw relative to to this season. So, so Bostokoglu's teams have got high levels of control and high levels of penetration when it works. When it doesn't work, you see what happened against Mirren, you see what happened against Livingston, where the penetration's low, but the control is is high in that sense so so bearing all these things in mind um if, if you i don't know if you've got a a, a chart on this you're able to ping up uh, and uh, but you'll see that actually this this season's three center backs Kartavik, starfoot and welsh are all uh, at the top of the chart as far as number of pack passes per 90 minutes compared to um what is a very small sample of players because packing something that i've only done in the last few seasons, I don't go back to 14-15 for that. In fact, I think it's 19-20 that I've got on this. It's only the last couple of seasons, really. So, the very small sample, but also um, in terms of players, uh, but also what you're seeing there is a reflection of the style of play as much as the ability of the players. But um, the fact that Carter Vickers' numbers uh, are very high in this regard is encouraging compared to the other two. The other piece that this chart isn't showing you is you know what do these pack passes actually achieve in terms of how many um, players did did those pack passes actually take out the game? Now I've not shown this on char- on the chart, but what I can tell you is 
um, that if, if I said to you that Carter Vickers' packing score was 60, and that's probably a bit of an abstract number to most people, um, but then um, Starfelt's was 45, you'll see there's a reasonably big gap there. So, so Starfelt, not, so Carter Vickers, sorry, is not only um, breaking the lines more often than the other two, he's also taking out more players. So it's riskier passing um, done more often. So that in an, in an Ange ball scenario, that's a really good outcome. Okay, um, and that, what you'll also see on that chart is all, the, the other the other um, dimension is progressing the ball through through to, you know, through through um, carrying the ball, so running with the ball essentially. Um, and what you'll see on there is that Ayer is just a complete outlier. Now James will James will be able to chip in here because he looks at um, benchmarking against uh, Europe, you know, players across Europe. But I would hazard a guess that Ayer is probably elite at European, if not world level. At carrying the ball at his feet, and therefore that outlier, even for Celtic, would probably be reflected whichever team he played for. Yeah, at Celtic, I mean, I I don't have it directly in front of me, but I remember doing it in the past. You know, in Y Scouts database for progressive runs, which is you know again, it's gonna it's not the exact same as Allen's metrics, but it's gonna correlate pretty well. Um, you know, I, I benchmarked Frimpong, for example, and his his playing at Celtic with the space that we enjoy. Um, he he was I think top two in the, in the world out of like I don't know hmm. twenty thousand uh, 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 fullbacks. Uh, Frimpong was you know in, in in the top couple, and Iyer was similarly like in top five in center backs out of you know thousands and thousands globally. Now again, some of that has to do with the circumstances of Celtic relative to the league and how much possession we have, and you know how how much. Uh, other teams sit back and don't try to press our, our our fullbacks and center backs when they do have the ball, that kind of thing. But it does sh- suggest, you know, there are other teams that play in similar circumstances and they don't have guys posting the kind of um, carrying stats that, that Iyer has. And I, I suspect that's probably what, you know, clubs like Leverkusen and, and Brentford were looking at when they were, you know, seeing them as appealing um candidates because they do really add i mean it 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 does change a dimension when it when a player can break lines that way even um and progress the ball that rapidly and with control you know you don't really the the risk factor being relatively low uh of of that kind of progression so yeah he's he's been a, a true outlier in that sense not not only at celtic but globally yeah, and we haven't really, and, we, and we're not asking the current centre backs to do that. Really, is what the data shows. So mm-hmm. no one's replaced that that as as such. But then I think with with the with the fullbacks inverting to create overloads in midfield, that almost wouldn't make any sense to then have the centre back running running past you. Is is kind of it's going kind to of be a useful thing to have always because it it just adds a, another dimension to the attack. But it's not a role that either of the current the current cadre are being asked to do or or seem to have a great at, aptitude for. Yeah. Before we finish up on the defence, there's a lot of conversation going on in the comments right now about height and <laughs> the importance or uh, lack of importance when it comes to height in our defence. So, like, I'm, again, I'm guessing from this, from just what I see on TV, and often that can be quite misleading, like, is Carter Vickers just about six foot? Then, again, Starfelt, maybe just about the same. Stephen Welsh, we we've had a, a long term discussion of whether whether Stephen Welsh is that six foot or not, and then the the fullbacks with Juranovic and and Ralston and Greg Taylor, Scales is about the only guy as our fullbacks that has any sort of height whatsoever. So, are we saying it's important? Are we saying it's not important, James? I know that you definitely feel we need more height in general throughout the team, but uh, yeah, I, I, again, I, it's not necessarily height. It doesn't have to be height. Um, height obviously correlates with aerial um, proficiency. I mean, it can be vertical leap. <laughs> um, I think something that Carter Vickers has is broadness. So he's a big dude from shoulder to shoulder kind of thing. Um, yeah, tough, so, tough guy to battle with in the air, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So as Alan said earlier about Starfelt not doing a lot of these things, it looks like Carter Vickers is a lot more adept at some of the dark arts of positioning and um you know, staying close to, to attacking players. So, you know, I always think about it from a systems perspective. And when you've got a bunch of players that aren't tall, many of them that aren't built like Carter Vickers, 
meaning a shit brick house. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you can do as much as you can from a, a system perspective organizationally. And I think we've done that, meaning that if you look at, um, you know, the, what we're conceding on set pieces now from an XG perspective, it's actually quite good. Um, but we're still conceding more than we should relative to XG. And I think some of that has to do with the nexus of our guys maybe not being as proficient size-wise and aerially, and then, you know, mix that in with hearts, um, relative lesser mobility coming for crosses. Uh, and that, that's been a, a source of vulnerability for us. But again, I, Celtic are, are not Man City. Right. So the idea that we're going to engineer with endless amounts of money, uh, an optimized squad that has no issues or vulnerabilities is unrealistic. So, um, you know, relative to how our manager wants to play, you know, and the players available and our wage bill and, and the players that we can attract, you know, uh, is it, is it less than ideal? Yes. But if you're going to concede opportunities, aerial ones are usually the least likely to um, uh, be a problem, uh, statistically speaking. Uh, so if I were going to pick a battle as far as where we're going to be weak, that is probably the one area that I would say, okay, I can live with that relative to, you know, other issues uh, as, as far as chances being um, cr created. I actually think our defending of non-aerial crosses is probably as big of an issue, um, and, and concern uh, as opposed to let's say corners or uh, set pieces. Cause we, like I said, we've done really well. You can, you can tell it's reflected in the data that organizationally we've been doing a better job this, this season um, as, as far as, you know, being organized and, and having our act together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, height doesn't necessarily mean good. You know, you need to be able to use that height efficiently and well, because I mean, Christopher Ryer was tall, but he was not necessarily good at defending set pieces. Um, so it, you're, you're, it, it you're, you're sounding you're, you're sounding like me with my wife. <laughs> Sizes and everything. Well, I, I I'm one of those I'm one of those people who you know I I cling to that six foot. I'm I'm, I'm like five foot eleven and three quarters but i'm six that's foot same, that's the same as me yeah, yeah. it's just, it's just yeah. not quite ever made that six foot round up no, yeah. Um, yeah 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 no listen <laughs> I, for, for me you know yeah, for me it's not if i was to rank the, the key attributes of defender you know positioning uh anticipation you know concentration uh speed um and and, and what what vickers has which is the ability to, to he's not a particularly big guy but he, he's he's strong which means he can he can jump with you and mess you up, even if he's not taller than you, as in force you into the wrong position, knock you off balance, and, and so the, the header's a mess, etc. So these are all the, all, the, all those attributes. I, I, I would put all those things as possibly more important than uh, than just raw height in in, in, you know, in essence. But but you know you are going to be challenged in this way in Scotland. We can't get away from that. Every single team in the league. Averages seventy-five plus long balls a game. You're going to get challenged in that way, but but I think this has been an interesting case study because we do have three defenders that are all around about the six foot, six foot one at most mark, and they're all very different actually in how they yeah. how they compete with their in, in aerial challenges. So it just goes to show you that um, actually height isn't the isn't the key factor. Well, and that's what's so interesting about the Starfelt case study is that uh, you know again if you think about kind of uh, pluses and negatives. So Iyer wasn't very good in attacking headers. In fact, he was pathetic um, in, in his track record. And, and even defending in, in aerially in corners, for example, he was kind of mixed. Where he was really good was when the play was in front of him and, you know, teams were lumping the ball up into our half and, you know, we had to control those headers and win, you know, as Alan says, maintain possession or win possession as opposed to just heading it out of play. Iyer was actually at least functional or decent at that uh starfelt but uh, well before i move on from ire what ire had was recovery pace right so when you're playing that high line you know okay well you have the pluses and minuses and what he's good at the, mentioned what he wasn't necessarily all that good at he was good at defending aerially in a certain circumstances and he had recovery pace so if, the, if there was a breakdown in play he could get his ass back and and you know um still defend 
Starfelt doesn't have any of that. Like he he's not good early period for the most part. He, he doesn't have this recovery pace, uh, which again, when you're playing that high line, so you know CCV has other things. He doesn't have that recovery pace either. But positionally, he seems to be very good, intelligent player spatially, uh, and he has a lot of that uh, defending in the box one on one that physicality that that Alan mentioned so you know if you kind of line up all these things I'll, what I'll be curious to see and interested to see with Julian is Julian is really good inside the box aerially attacking aerially um, also defending aerially in our you know kind of defensive half out in space but he doesn't have that recovery speed um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that shakes out uh, relative to playing an Angie system, hopefully he's fit enough and he comes back. Um, and whether he's able to, you know, maybe out- offset some of those issues with those other areas that he's really strong with. Yeah, there was reports saying that Celtic played an in-house game against St. Mirren in the last couple of days, and Julian played 45 minutes of that. So that's definitely positive signs. And um, hopefully that means he's going to be ready to come in. And I'm really looking forward to seeing. Julian beside Cameron Carter Vickers to see if if it works out as a as a partnership. A lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, have been asking us in the comments to talk about Antoine uh, Antoine Ortega, the new Celtic data guy. Um, do you guys know much about him? Is that something you just want to talk about? I don't. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I had I hadn't heard of him or followed him on Twitter. I, I I'd prefer not to get into individuals because again, yeah. to me, it's not about individuals. Um, I think it's encouraging that we're adding to the area in in the club. Um, I think, you know, uh, more investment in uh, the intellectual side of of uh, of the club. I think is is good. Uh, so. You know, I, I think it, it can only be a positive, and we certainly hope and, uh, that, that that he's up for going into the Glasgow Cauldron. Uh, already seeing hit the response to him on Twitter, uh, the poor guy having a Twitter account. We'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, um, yeah. Last. W- w- I, I wish him all the best and all the luck in the world, and hopefully he's up up for the challenge. Yeah. Not not only analytically, which I'm sure he is, but um, you know, more more so the non analytical part of what he's probably getting himself into. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's let's talk about it more in the sense of Carl Starfelt, who we're putting down to as as bad recruitment. So let's say this guy is, and I'm sure he is qualified enough for this role. What are you looking for him to do differently when it comes to Carl Starfelt? Assuming people are going to listen to what he actually puts forward. So, so, I mean, for me, you know, to echo what James said, this is more about if it's indicative of a culture whereby we're recruiting a deeper pool of analytical staff, then that's the generally a good good news. I can't comment on the individual, and, and I wouldn't anyway, even, even if I did know the guy. Um, but but what is um, – I don't think his role is going to be to necessarily um, tell Starfighter how to defend. If he can help to highlight some of the some of the issues and, and go into more some of the more deeper aspects that, that I talked about, which is looking at the, the minutiae of body shape, positioning, uh, responses, anticipation, etc., and in, in different triggers and, and how you respond to those. That if he's able to provide you know, insight and context in that that sort of level, I think that will be a step forward because that is the level. That a professional sports club should be looking, uh, and there might be there might be a couple of magic bullet things that sort of say, actually, Carl, you're all you're always recovering um, off your left foot, and actually, you're right. You know, you're you should be powering off your right foot. You know, you're. It's like, for example, um, you know, I was told today about James Forrest that um, his his printing technique was poor, which was stressing part of the reason why his hamstrings were were stressed. Little little things, little little um, physiological uh, things like that. Sports science insights can actually um, make a huge difference to a player. So uh, you know that's a combination of skills. That's analysis to say we've got a problem anyway. Do you accept we've got a problem? That's the first. The first thing. Second of all is you know physically there's a physiological sports science area. Is the player actually moving properly? Are they conditioned correctly? Have they got the right um, you know, body conditioning and, and and technique from a physical perspective, and then 
thirdly, you've got to add in the actual football experts, the, the coaches of, you know, you know, people who actually know how to defend properly, telling you how to defend properly. But, I, I, you know, no football club ever gets recruitment 100% correct. And, you know, Starfelt, I have to be very brutally honest here, Starfelt was after Furuhashi, the second most expensive, um, you know, Postacoglu signing. Uh, and it's not been a good one. Okay, so we need to, you know, and I suspect when, as James said, it's not going to get better. So we need to uh, yeah, address that. Yeah, I'll say, and uh, so to to segue from what Alan just said is, um, it's all about probabilities. I mean, that that's what analytics and data are about. Is how do you tilt um, decision making towards increasing your probabilities of success and 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 um, uh, doing better. So part of that is understanding value. So this is what we've talked about. For example, um, I've mentioned uh, the new metric that uh, StatsBomb has out, uh, OBV, which is going more in that direction, right? So Alan talked about the importance with progressive passing, uh, the idea of okay, well you can count progressive passes, but he does was one of the you know one of the uh, real value add with uh, with uh, Alan's data collection is he's put value on that or a way of of value in that relative to something called an impact score, right? So um, there, there, there's ways that you could do, you know, if you have analytical skills, you could take counting stats and you might be able to kind of see patterns and put things together in a way of deduce things. So that takes a more advanced analytical skill set. Uh, as you increase the, um, the value and the accuracy of data collection through metrics, which is what we're moving forward now in the next generation with something called G plus and OBV is that you're now going to quantify actual playing value. And that's going to, that actually is what Moneyball was all about it, it, player trading. Yes, but it was the inefficiencies and the understanding of what drove performance and quantifying that through measurement and then being smart about how you're deploying resources. Right? So not only is it, uh, an increase in intelligence relative to understanding value, it's then, okay, well, what, what does value mean relative to the manager's playing style and the context of the club that you're playing at? Meaning that, uh, you know, as we talked about, um, uh, you know, Celtic keepers really only have two shots that they face a game on average versus somebody at uh, another club that probably faces more than two and a half or three times that in a game. So that is a different situation on a value perspective for that position. Center backs, can they pass versus are they going to bunker in inside the 18 and head the ball out with crosses? Those are very distinct roles. And, and how do you value what the performance is going to be relative to that? So it's getting intelligent about measurement, figuring it out. And then the last thing I'll say, which this is the next step, which is the real the real advanced clubs are doing research and development, which is they're not, you know, it's I, I don't expect that to happen at Celtic anytime soon. But it's, you know, people get stuck in the, the the hamster wheel, right? You got two games a week and you're doing opposition prep and you're getting ready for the rec next the next transfer window. It, it's uh, uh, putting resources and time into thinking openly, okay, what are we doing here? How can we do things better? Um, you know. What do we do as far as using metrics and doing uh, research and analysis as far as figuring out, you know, maybe the manager's playing this certain way and thinks that this is a good thing to do, but let's test that. Like, let's let's actually go into this and test, like, are these smart decisions and, and look at the global kind of pool of data that's available and see if people are doing things that actually add value based on conventional wisdom or whether there's opportunities for people to say, hey, you know, and that's what gag impressing was really all about is people overvalued possession, uh, you know, to a degree, which is you can think about making a, a, a risky pass in the final third. We've talked about that. Alan and I is like, you know, taking risk with passes can be a good thing, particularly if you pair that with seeing a turnover as an opportunity to regain possession with a def defense in transition that's more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Right. How do you how do you qualitatively or quantitatively measure those? And, and, and tailor your style of play to kind of optimize. So I, I think what you'll see, hopefully, is that you'll get more resources towards building better profiles, better understanding of what players need to be good at, and certainly sees that you, with the three signings he's made uh, from Japan. We've talked about that. These guys profile logically um, with, with what he's going to look for in those positions. And um, 
you know, uh, an analytical staff using data should be able to help make that an even better situation and optimize that as opposed to just a guy knows people in leagues because he knows them. And that, that yeah. seems to be where we're at right now. I mean, even this guy McGree who ended up going to Middlesbrough, it looks like that, that was, that looks like somebody Ange knew and could do a job. Right. Or, or the agent was causing trouble, but let's, or the, right. So, so can I just, if you don't mind, can I just add a little bit of a different, another perspective to this? I don't know if you want to move on into that's fine, but um, I, 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 this is going to sound a little bit reactionary, actually. So I don't think we make the best use of the data that we already have, never mind all these further advanced stats. And the reason I say that, and, and I'm not necessarily talking about clubs, because I'm not sure what clubs do, but there's, there's a science to this, which is the collecting of the right information in, in the right way and building clean data and, and, and built to present it and benchmark it in, the, in, in, a, in, a, in a fair and an equitable manner. But then there's an art to this, and the art is the story that the data tells you. And this is generally the piece that people don't do well, okay? And it's because it's the hardest piece. It's the qual- qualitative piece that goes over the top of the data. And I and, and, and I still think when I look, and especially because Twitter, we always, I love Twitter, we all use Twitter, right? But Twitter's really geared for getting little snippets of information out there, little and little bite-sized chunks. But actually, you may, by doing that, you can certainly make points. You can, you can make a lot of points. And, and some of them are, are val- very valid. But you miss an awful lot of nuance, right? And that and nuance takes a little bit of time with a lot more data points to tell a story and to build it. Nobody wants to read that on Twitter. And I still think, you know, from a, from a, the analyst perspective, and I'll give you a, two examples, really, real players that, to try and illustrate what I mean by that is, as you know, I was always banging on about the value because that's where we came in about this. What is the value of these players? The value of Ryan Christie, right? And and, and you could probably go across a, a whole range of metrics and say, well, yeah, but he's, he doesn't have the most shots. He doesn't have the highest XG. He doesn't create the most chances. He doesn't do it. And he doesn't have the most win the most tackles. He doesn't no, but he's probably third or second or fourth on every single one of those lists. And if you look at that whole package together and look and tell and 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 the narrative of what actually is a Ryan Christie, it's actually a pretty awesome collection of attributes. None of which are exceptional, but all of them are useful. Right. The second one, and this is something I I educated myself on this week when I wrote an article. Um, it was about David Turnbull because I was trying to sort of. I know that when you know that a player is valuable, you can't explain why. That was the, basically the problem that I set myself. And eventually, I managed to find a view that showed that through sort of progressive progressive passes, and I can't remember what the other thing was, was I used. You know, he he, he actually he, again he doesn't top the rank on any of the creative. Um, dimensions and any of the creative metrics that we have. So you think, well, Turnbull's the number 10. Well, he should be topping all of these, and he doesn't. But actually, if you put together a package of five or six m- metrics that all sh- speak to a player's creativity, and if, if you were to find a way of aggregating them, he would probably be pretty much at the top of that pile. And that that's the narrative. That's the story that you have to tell. Now, this, this guy coming back to to, to, to dunk on data, if he's he's got the ability to persuade the coaches at Celtic or the manager even the, the of the bet of the value of a player who's perhaps not playing or or to point out the the the, the fact that the fact that a player who is playing isn't perhaps performing and getting the value of that we we thought like Starfield, then he's doing a fantastic job. And if he can do that, that to me would be a good analyst. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's no point in collecting data if you're not going to use it. So that's why I sort of alluded to. The fact well, that, I, I, I know, you know this myself. They, they, I, they can I, bring I, in whoever they want. If they don't listen to him, it doesn't matter. My, my spreadsheet's enormous, and 99% of it I don't share with anyone, not because I don't want to. It just doesn't enough time <laughs> to actually yeah. look at it and, 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 you know, boil it down and come up with some insight from it. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot, a lot more to go at with the data that we've got. Never mind. I'm all for pushing the dial forward in terms of new, new stuff. Obviously, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say different. Yeah. What's interesting to me, though, and it's funny how all of this has developed and become sort of mainstream and people like ordinary people you see dropping in conversations about XG and data and different things into like mainstream media. And uh, James, what you were saying about the Gagan Press and and everything like that, there sparked me the thought of Jack Charlton and Ireland at Italia 90, where he looked at the World Cups previously in Mexico and the US and he saw that every single team used the number 10. Every single team 
relied on that number 10 to play the ball through. That's how they did it. Slow, keep possession. Number 10 creates it and two strikers up front. And his solution to that was put them under pressure as it became known as even there was a song about it, which was getting the ball, even though Ireland had unbelievably creative players at that point, getting the ball, kicking it up into the corner of rugby style and chasing it after, chasing after him, essentially doing gig and pressing before gig and pressing became a thing. I mean, that that's what he said. He saw a weakness. He saw an opportunity. And it, that actually has had a detrimental effect on Irish football from from that moment on. But at that point in time, it was extremely effective. And Ireland got to a World Cup quarterfinal playing it. Yeah. So people have had um, analytical and uh, pattern recognition skills uh, for, for millennia. You know, Leonardo da Vinci didn't figure out all he figured out, even theoretically, hundreds of years before things actually happened scientifically to catch up with his, some of his visions. Uh, and I mean that from a, you know, uh, an, an understanding physics even before like we had the equations in certain ways to prove it. Right. So there, there's uh, that intuition that that was the scale of of um, of of you know, let's say managers, you know, a Jock Steen, uh, the people who were able to kind of be visionaries and see ways of doing things ahead of time that others didn't. And they even may have had, relatively speaking, in a modern sense, rudimentary statistics that they were using. A lot of them did. If you look historically, a lot of these visionaries did quantify things in certain ways, um, looking for patterns. And uh, so what the, the modern era in the last 10 years has really done uh, is quantify more, measure more. And what that does is it squeezes out on the margins um, and, and it dilutes the people that have that kind of natural ability and it makes it even more difficult for those people to compete you know, we've seen this throughout life, right? The human brain in certain ways versus computers. And now we've got machine learning and all these various things. They're not human brains. They're not as good as we are. Our brains are at certain aspects. But in other ways, they're much faster and better. Uh, and, you know, it, it gets harder and harder to compete against the machines, so to speak, uh, in, in, in certain ways. And, and so not only did some of those things that were figured out by people qualitatively with a little bit of quantitatively historically... Now that that can be fine-tuned, optimized, you know, even more understanding um, and situationally, conditionally, probability distributions build all around it, right? So it's all this geek stuff that that can advance um, understanding and knowledge. But yeah, I mean, people pe people for many, many years uh, figure things out um, versus other than that. This I always talk about, you get copycats, right? That's been going on in sports forever. If people, somebody's a visionary figures it out and then everyone doesn't even know why the hell it works. They just say, Hey, let's go do that because that guy did it or that girl figured it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think football falls into, there's, there's nothing new in football tactics. Right. And and what Jack Charlton did and, and, and credit to him for being a disruptor. Okay. Because obviously, as you say, international football had fallen into a certain paradigm, a certain pattern of, of playing that became orthodoxy and he challenged that orthodoxy. And, that, and that, that's, that's great great you know left brain whatever it is thinking so um and that's what you what you need to, to to when you're a small country and you're trying to maximize the, the resources that you have but there's nothing new about anything that he did if you, if you want to read about football tactics and the history of it jonathan wilson inverting the pyramid i'm listening to that right now yeah the best I'm listening best, to that audio book i'll read right a book read a book yes read the book yeah best the best the best book on football tactics you'll ever you ever the only book on football tactics you'll probably ever need to to read but it, essentially uh, if, if, if I had to summarize it in a, in a paragraph, it's that essentially football tactics is a game of rock, scissors, paper, scissors, paper right? <laughs> and it really is. And it's just a, a question of orthodoxies and shifting, shifting, um, you know, and disrupting. And it, but in terms of what's really new, <laughs> um, yes, you can make players run faster and for longer, so you've got advancements in that sort of physical physicality. But there's nothing new in terms of tactics and shit and basic shape. Yeah, listen. I I sat down and watched Man City play a four four two a couple of weeks ago, and I was I was laughing at how the commentators uh, were talking yeah, about it. Yeah, Pep Guardiola's playing four players in midfield. What's he doing? This is brand I enjoyed new. that while I was, like, I, was like, sipping yeah, my <laughs> I was sipping my grapefruit IPA. I was enjoying <laughs> the, the, the hipster revolutionary uh, four four two. Yeah, uh, yeah well, that's gonna be it. You know, all this pressing, right? 
all this pressing. One of the ways to maybe beat pressing is is have Niall Quinn up front with a with a little nippy lad and launch the ball at him. Brilliant. Just beat the press. <laughs> I for one I for one welcome that. But uh, right now I need to go and stick my audiobook on of that Jonathan Wilson book because I've got a four hour commute ahead of me. And so that's where we will leave the show on tonight. We we had a bit of a phys- philosophical conversation there tonight. That's what you get on the Huddle Breakdown. If you want more of that, you can get us at Huddle Breakdown on Twitter. And you can follow us on, or you can subscribe to the YouTube channel below. Just hit the subscribe button. You get the Huddle Breakdown, the Monday Breakdown, and loads of different stuff as well. You can get us on Spotify, on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts as well. So back again next week and actually have some football to talk about. So James, Alan, until then, thanks very much. Safe travels, Enda. See you next week. Safe travels. Take care, everyone. All right. Cheers, lads. Chat to you later. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.